My name is Mike Morford, and I host the podcast, The Murderer of My Family. We've all heard about horrible murder cases in the news. Most of the time, we listen for a moment, but then go about our daily routine. Have you ever wondered who those victims were, or how their deaths affected their families? On my podcast, you'll hear from their loved ones, and get a view of the case from an insider's perspective. You can listen to The Murderer of My Family on the Spreaker app for free, and even comment on episodes. And I can read and respond to your comments. Be sure to check out new episodes of The Murderer of My Family every other Saturday on Spreaker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Born in Trouble. I'm your host, John X. Here we are on a Tuesday evening with my prolific guest, Robert Brooks, again. Say hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. Okay. Well, see, we're starting again. (laughs) We just got started. We're starting again. And um, (laughs) Mr. Orlando Walters. Orlando, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the crowd and just... uh, Try not to say anything to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be here on, on the podcast. Uh, my full name is Winston Orlando Walters, mm-hmm. born in born in Harlem, New York, raised in the Bronx and Long Island, and I'm a Leo. Oh, and I got that tagline off of Mr. Brooks. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Personality be- infectious, baby. I think it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> I think it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> well, here we go again. In case you guys uh, are a first-time listener to the podcast, I'm an ex, and uh, I'm a Virgo. And uh, Mr. Brooks, as he let everyone know, is a uh, what are you again, Robert? I'm a Pisces. I, was, I see. I was going to leave that. I was going to drop that, but now we're back to it. I've waited a whole week. To, to say that, so I, 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 I had to say it. it feels good, don't it? <laughs> it feels yeah, good. That, that 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 was a good one. That was a good one. That brought back the, the, the late the late '80s for me. <laughs> yeah, and this is a this is a late '80s reference, like uh, you know, pod bean whatever. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so, uh, guys, uh, tell me, uh, how's it going tonight? The reason why I invited Orlando once to the show is because, Orlando, would you like to tell them what you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a financial consultant. I've been in the industry now uh, 20 years. Uh, actually, I've been licensed now 20 years. So what I do is I do financial planning, uh, wealth management, retirement planning. Uh, so I deal with, you know, I deal with people, uh, families, uh, clients with their, their investments. Um and their retirement savings. So that's what I do. All right. Well, that's interesting. You said 20 years. How'd you get started? 20 years. Wow. That's that's a story all in itself. I was a hospital administrator in the Bronx, the Bronx, New York. Okay. And uh, decided one day that I no longer wanted to deal with uh, New York City uh, hospital politics. Okay. And was was reading the, uh, I believe it was the New York Times, and I saw an ad to become a stockbroker. And I said, you know what? This is a perfect way for me to make money legally, um, quickly, okay. and uh, and to make a lot of it. Yeah. And uh, studied for the exam. Three months later, passed the exam, first try, Series 7 exam, and uh, Started with a boutique firm on Park Avenue called Continental Broker Dealers. Okay. Started and uh, operated 
by uh, a few Stratton Oakmont guys. If, if you know, if you're familiar with the movie, the Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was mentored by a, a few of those uh, gentlemen who uh, who started out at those you know I started out at that firm. Wow. So my my introduction to the business was raw, but it was the best type of mentoring or training that anyone could have when it comes to literally picking up a phone, call calling someone off a Dun Bradstreet card. I don't know if you if anybody knows what those are, but literally just picking up the phone and pitching a guy a stock and he has no idea who you are, but he's willing to send you tens of thousands of dollars and give you his social security number all in one phone call. Must be nice. um, so that's where the power tripping began back then. Mm. You know, I, I've, if you, uh, if you have that kind of conversational skill, you could easily use that power for evil. <laughs> now, listen, you know what? It's it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because back then we were all told to read this book. It was a book called uh Machiavelli, The End Justifies the Means. I don't know if you if, if any of you guys have ever read that book. But there's a disclaimer in that book that before you read it, you have to realize that what you are about to read is going to change not only your life, but it's going to change your mind to the point where, yeah, you, you could start doing some real evil things. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's the gift and the curse because, like you said, uh, yeah, I could do some real evil things, I think, because I, I absolutely believe in the power of words and the power of suggestion and being able to read someone that you've never even met over a telephone um, and understanding within two minutes what their triggers are, what their fears are, what their greed is, and and what's their motivation. And, uh, you know, taking them along that ride to doing exactly what you want them to do by the end of the conversation. Right, right. Wow. Right. Now, I I have experience with that, you know, with uh, being in the mortgage business, where we use the automated dialers and um, you call people up and you're basically asking them to give up everything about themselves, everything at least that's really, that's really important because it's your finances, you know, and um, it's really a skill. And like, you know, it's funny you say the uh, Oakmont Stratton guys, like um, I actually ran into a guy who was in the real estate business and it like, it really is a different type of uh, thought process as far as, how you go about getting clients and even how you view people, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's where me and me and him are kind of butted heads. But, you know, his way worked and my way worked. So at the end of the day, it didn't really make much of a difference. Right. Because, right. you know, bottom line stuff. But right now during COVID, how are the markets doing? Isn't it, you know, you see a lot of people like gaining wealth and things of that nature or? Well, I, I think, you know, um, I've been saying this now since February or March of this year. COVID, COVID is, uh, for me, um, and, and what I do, COVID has been a gift. It's been a time machine of sorts. Okay. I mean, back in February, March of this year, I mean, the, uh, the Dow, you know, dropped to about 18,000 points, let's say roughly. So technically we lost about three or four years of, um, of a bull market. Wow. 
Um, you know, I, I have and no I idea started telling people. But I just let me break it down for you. So we have the Dow, the Dow Industrial Average is called the big board, right? So that's where you're going to have um, a lot of your um, blue chip companies, your Amazons. Um, they call them the FANG, uh, FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, and Google. Or alph- alphabet in Google now, or something like that. Okay. Right. So you know th- th- that's giving you just a, a small a small sample of what makes up the Dow the Dow Industrial Gap Dow Industrial Average, right? So it's essentially the benchmark of how the markets are doing, along with the Nasdaq and the S and P five hundred, because the Dow is going to have your bigger companies, right? Um, okay. Your older, your bigger companies, let's mm-hmm. say. So you know. Back in, let's say, you know, and you would know this, back in 2008, let's say, right, when we had the housing bubble, the housing price, the housing yes. bubble, right? Yes. Yep. We were in, um, you know, we were in a recession. We're calling it the new the new recession or the, the next great recession. I always say it was a depression, um, but I say, it, you know, recession was just they didn't want to call it a depression. But go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, 2009 through 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 2019, the early part of 2020, we were on what they call a bull market. The market, the, the stock market, just kept rising and rising and rising. Um, that's what you call a, a, a bull market. People, you could throw a dart on at the wall and uh, you know pick a stock and you you would have made money. Okay. You know, people who lost half of their 401ks from 2006 through 2008, okay. um, that was the time that they recovered and, you know, tripled and quadrupled what they had, in, you know, in their 401ks if they had kept their money, you know, and kept um, investing in the in their 401ks. That's when they recovered and recovered big. Okay. Um, so the early part of this year, February or March, when the market tanked, the market was almost at, the market was at uh, probably, when I say the market, I'm talking about the Dow. I was, uh, you know, roughly 29,000, 29,500 points. It dropped within weeks. It dropped from 29,500 to about, let's say, roughly 18,500. So we lost, technically, three or four years of profits, three or four years of a bull market. And it was, it's almost like if you could go back in time three or four years, you know, three or four years and, you know, change, change some things that you that you've done to now benefit from it three or four years later, you know, would you do that? That's exactly what the market did. It went back three or four years. Mm. Right? So I was telling people, even if you never invested before, this is the time to get back in because and I didn't think COVID was gonna last this long, but I said it's not gonna last forever and the market's gonna come back. You know, right. don't you remember two thousand and eight we we we've seen this before. Right, we're going to come a, back. Yeah, we're going to have a. We're going to have. We're the U.S. United States of America. We're going to come up with a solid plan, and it's going to be handled. Exactly. Okay. And um, and and that's exactly what what ended up happening. Um, I I started working, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen plus hours a day because I couldn't. My phone wouldn't stop ringing, and. Um, you know, I, I have this saying as well, you know, the wealthy never allow a crisis to go to waste. And um, I saw it myself firsthand because I, 
people who had money, who had true wealth, they weren't the ones who were, you know, being afraid and pulling their money out of the market. They, they wanted more of the market. They wanted to put more money in. Right. Um, and that's exactly, you know, what, what's happened. So we went from 18.5 to now where we are today, roughly back again, 29.5, six or seven months later. Imagine, you know, think about the wealth between 18.5 and 29.5. If you had continued to pour money into the market consistently, into well, app, into stocks like Apple that split, well, Tesla the, that split. Well, the, I think the big thing is in order for you to take advantage of a situation like that, someone has to tell you. And um, a lot of people don't have anyone to tell them exactly what to do in the markets, like where to go. Um, you would assume if you're a lay person looking around and noticing all this, all of the negative, all the bad things that are going around economically with uh, food insecurity and people losing their jobs and everyone on unemployment and, you know, they're coming up in the housing market of the biggest like um, homeless epidemic that we've seen in, in this country like ever. This is what's being predicted that's around the corner. And then, you know, everything that you say is all positive. It's all good. You know, so like you said, there's always money. I always say that there's always somebody making money. There's always money to be made, you know, but you really need someone to you really need someone to be able to to give you that information. And like, you know, most people don't know you. So it's like we thank you for being here today and letting our listeners know. Here's one thing that I would, you know, a lot of the discussion these days, they've sort of, they've locked the health of the country economically to the health of the stock market. And yet that really seems to be an inverse relationship. Like, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just, just like you said, a lot of people confuse the status or the strength of the economy with the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the stock market is not the economy. Um, the stock market is happens to be the, um, what's that, you know, like, you know how people are drawn to something that's shiny and bright? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what people can relate to. That's what the you know, a lay person can, can relate to. Uh, most people don't understand what uh, GDP is. You know, um, people aren't going to understand why, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a tariff war with China is going to affect, uh, you know, the economy negatively and affect jobs and raise prices of things that we don't even think about, but yet we use on a daily basis. Well, but, you know, people hear about the stock market, they can relate to that in, in some form or fashion. Well, I'm, But you're, you're right. It's not the economy. Yeah, I mean, years ago, like, you know, before, you know, back when back when the dinosaurs uh, walked the earth, I was a business major. So <laughs> I knew a lot of these things and I, I paid attention to a lot of this stuff. And I can tell you, like, firsthand when I started doing mortgages, I was told that mortgages were the backbone of the economy. You know, and that was what that was the sign of whether or not things were good in the world or not. And then all of a sudden, fast forward, you go to 2000 after 2008, 2009. Now, in order to make people feel good about what's going on in the economy, it's no longer mortgages because, you know, we all know that 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 was a that was a show. 
you know, whatever type of show. I'm going to try not to curse anymore. I don't think it's going to fucking work. <laughs> Can we curse uh, but, on this show, though? <laughs> I just said I don't hey, think it's well, going to work. So absolutely <laughs> can, but um, yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, it turned into that. It turned into that show, and now all of a sudden, you know, no one, no one talks about mortgages or like you know that being the foundation of the American financial system. Now it's the stock market, you know. Right. And then the most interesting thing, it's like only I think it's only like um, two per twelve percent or ten percent of the. Of the country actually owns stock anywhere, so how could that be a measure if one in ten people are doing good of like a healthy economy? And before you even answer, Orlando, I just want to let you know this is not like you know what this is not a slam the markets like type of type of like you know deal here. It's really it's really about like what people people need need to be educated about these things about how they're getting moved. You know, like you were saying about the power of words and, you know, a vast majority of Americans don't even realize how their focus has been shifted from one talking point to the next talking point to the next talking point to where we are today. So someone was lying to them. Wasn't you. You know, these people have always been doing their jobs, (laughs) you know. Right, right. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, no, you, you, you make a great point. I mean, like, like you said, it's, uh, you know, the talking point right now, um, is, is the stock market. But the reality is, is that, you know, there's, I don't know, I think I saw something the other day on 60 Minutes. I think 12 million people are going to lose their benefits, their unemployment benefits, the day after Christmas. Um, food insecurity is at an all-time high. I think they was like one out of four families right now, I mean, like that. Don't I, know where their meals are. Don't 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 have enough food. All you have to do is drive by any street where they where they have a food bank, they have a church, and just look at the lines that are out there on a daily basis, and you know that there's a serious issue here, and no right. one's covering it. No one's covering it. No one really cares about it. No one. It's just not a. It's not a concern. You know, right. to a large amount of people, and it should be. You know, I I think that I think it's good that people are still making money in this economy. I think it's bad, you know, that um we have the distribution, and I guess like you know I guess wow I shouldn't have even said that word, but um it's like really it's really <laughs> what's going on because once you start saying stuff like that, the people start screaming you know all these different political terms that they don't even know the meanings of. You know, exactly. so. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're 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 right. You're 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 absolutely right. I mean, you know, is this you know, th- this is the thing though. I mean, you know, you 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 know, you, you have the haves and, and the have not and the have nots. Um and unfortunately you There's have only a lot of people pie. who don't right, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it sucks. I mean, it, it does suck because it doesn't, it didn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I, you know, we, 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 we have to, we have to get hours where we can get it. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately there's not any one thing that any one person is empowered to do. 
that can actually like change things upon them. And I know, like me and you, Rob, we were we were just talking about that. It was either the other day on the show or or in a um, conversation about how it's very difficult to separate, you know, um, social justices. Like you know, even you know, if you were to try, if you were to attempt to take every Puerto Rican person in the United States of America and give them a benefit of two thousand dollars, how would you do that? How would you go about defining these people and finding out exactly who it is that you're supposed to be helping? And what would be the criteria? Is it one quarter, one half, 100%? How do you do that? Good luck with that. Yeah, that's the, that's the whole, that's the whole, the, the further defining, uh, you know, folks are trying to get down to ADOS. That's that conversation when, around reparations. Yeah. You know. Now they're they're coming up with well uh, you know African descendants of slavery American descendants of slavery you know those are the people and that's just you know that sort of discounts all the other people who came here and were impacted by this system like but that's trying to preserve my, a larger piece of the pie for that group but you know Orlando uh, let me let me ask you this I got lucky one of my friends uh, when my daughter was born he's like look here's a share of GE. There's a thing called the drip. Next week, you're going to do this, 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 and that, and you're going to start just buying shares and reinvesting the profits. Um, and that was sort of my introduction to the market. For people who don't have great resources, it's awesome that, you know, hey, you got some money sitting around and, and the market tanks. But for people who don't have a lot of resources, what are some other ways that people can get involved in the market in a small way? Because it's amazing how fast the thing will grow if you let it. But there's some other ways that people who don't have big resources can get in and start to build their nest egg. Right. That's a great question. Um, well, you know, um, like you said, you, you, you got lucky. You had someone that um, had some knowledge and, and put you on to, you know, to the stock market, to the stock game. Um, a lot of people don't have that. But, you know, one of the things I will say is in, in the age that we live in, you know, there's information all around us, right? Mm-hmm. You can open up a brokerage account today with no money. You can literally open up a brokerage account with $1. Um, and you can invest now. I mean, you mentioned GE. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that was probably, I'm going to say 20, 20, about 20 years ago that, that, that you had that, that you probably first started investing. 20 years ago, yeah. Yeah, about 20 years ago, GE. Um, back then, you know, I don't know, GE was, I'm sure, a lot a lot higher than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you couldn't buy fractional shares of GE back then. You had to buy a whole share. So if the share, if, it, if GE was $100 a share, let's say, you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you would have to have $100 to buy one share of GE. Now they have something called fractional shares. That's, that's, that's gained in popularity probably in the last, you know, two or three years, maybe, right? Where, you know, you can invest in 10 different companies and buy fractional shares of 10 different companies, um, you know, with, with something as, as low as uh, $100, $50. Wow. Um, my thing is just get in the game. Just get in and be consistent. If you can only do $50 a month, if, if that's your budget, do $50 a month. I mean, you're paying $100 a month for your Sprint bill, right? 
Mm-hmm. Invest, invest in Sprint. Um, you know, I think Sprint is probably six or seven dollars right now. Buy fractional shares of Sprint if you have to. My point is, is that you don't have to have millions and millions of dollars to get into this, to get into this, um, and to take advantage of it. All you need, all you need to do is, is, uh, is, is to put in the effort of opening up an account and you can do that on, you can do that on your smartphone, take you less than three minutes to do, throw some money in there and Start investing in the things that you use on a daily basis. You have an Apple phone. You can't buy whole shares of Apple at, let's say, $115 a share. Buy fractional shares of Apple. Buy fractional shares of Sprint. You know, well, GE got uh, probably $10 a share. Buy, you know, buy fractional shares of GE if you have to. Well, mm-hmm. if, have- if, if, you, if you're seeing a rate of return of 4 or 5%, that's still four or five percent. Um, four or five percent is still four or five percent, whether it's on a hundred dollars or a million dollars, um, and just build off that. Well, what I can say about the actual experience is that I I did just recently did that, and it is like really easy. It's like pretty much an idiot can open up the account, and like um, I've been called that a couple of times, so I guess that's true. <laughs> So, but you love her anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, certain things man can't live without. You know. <laughs> right. So you know, but yeah, I mean, that's great info. That's really great information. If it helps, give your contact information. Maybe they can email you and things of that, and something like that, and get in contact with you that way. And um, I think that that would be great. I think it's like you know, maybe you should, um, you know. Do something, do something more to let more people know. You know, maybe you're selling us out by not letting brothers know where we could spend our money. Why are you holding back on a brother? <laughs> well, definitely, definitely not holding back, man. I, I, it doesn't I seem that, that way, brother. Financial... It doesn't nah, seem that nah, way. No, no, no. I hope yo, yo, yo. He's been advocating on Facebook. Like he's been telling, he's been reminding people every week. Like, yo. Jump in, the water is warm. He is out there pushing it. Like he is trying to get people. He is trying to get people in the capitalist groove. Uh, you, know, you. you know, you know, I'm only messing with you, brother. Back. You know, you know, I'm only messing with you, brother. <laughs> See, last week you had Bill Cosby's back. Now you're taking down your guests. Like you just all over the place. Well, dog. listen. Well, well, listen. We got to jazz this thing up here. You know, we got to make this. We got to make this like entertaining as well. You know we can't be we can't have any free walks here. It's this is like the podcast. Okay. Here. You know, nothing's easy. Nothing's easy. Okay. You well, know what? Here's, here, here, it, it, let, let me just let me just throw this in here. Okay. Like all this is necessary information for real, for real. Yeah. Um. How is it? Why is it that we have let the American educational system get away with letting our kids graduate without true financial literacy? Well, that's a that's like actually a, a great question. And it kind of like leads me into something else that I had planned that I really wanted you guys to hear. Um, this is a this is a, it's an excerpt from the writings of one of my cousins. Um, and I, I think I need to give everyone some background on this guy. Like, you know, I know Rob has heard me speak about him. I think I even like, you know, like um, have told you before about um, Alexander, who's an 80 year old expatriate now living in Brazil. Um, 
like uh, I just admire I just admire the fuck out of the guy. You know, there's nothing more I could say about it. You know, um, Vietnam POW survivor, um, and just like a a great overall guy, eighty years of experience. And you know, that's what kind of like what this show is about. It's about sharing different things and our own experiences in a way that helps other people. And um, if you guys would give me a couple of minutes, you know, I'd like to read your podcast. This expert. It's my podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Every time, I, every time I have you on as a guest, I'm not sure anymore, Rob. I'm not sure. <laughs> what? Nothing? That, there, nothing? nothing wrong with a, nothing wrong with a co-host. No, no, no. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing is like me and Rob, we've been going back and forth. We've been entertaining like this since we were like 13 or 14. So it's like, you know, it depends yeah. on the night. It depends on the night. You know, trust me. Okay. And I'm sure if you okay. tune in enough, you'll hear him. You'll hear him get me like, you know, okay. <laughs> like no one else can, you know, but right. that's, okay. that's love. That's my, that's my brother, my ace boon coon, as they used to say. Is All that, right. Is that acceptable? All can right. I say that now? That's that's acceptable. That's very good, like nineteen late nineteen sixties verbiage. But we'll, we'll work with it. See? <laughs> See, this is what I mean. It didn't take him long. It didn't take him long. Right. Entire, the entire time, Orlando. The entire time I was talking to you, he was loading up his. He was loading his rifle. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting you in the square. He was getting you that's scoping it. you out. That's yeah. it. All yeah. right. <laughs> I can't have nothing okay. good. I can't have nothing good. <laughs> but uh, seriously, though, I want I want to read to you this little piece. It's like you know, it kind of puts perspective in. I and I wanted to get your opinions on what on what he's on what he had written, and um, it's about integration. He says integration was the worst thing that happened to us. What is more insidious? It is how it was implemented. In the mid-60s, when the clamor for civil rights, which I now feel should simply have been about equal opportunity, the powers that be went into the segregated black schools and recruited the top 10% of the students and gave them full scholarships to predominantly white universities. After four years of indoctrination, most left hell-bent on integration and no desire to return their, to their original crumbling communities that had been further undermined by integration. An example, my family owned a restaurant in a small, small hotel in Newport News, Virginia, that stayed occupied because it was the only one there, and there was a line on all day Sunday for a seat in the restaurant. Restaurant business was brisk during the week also. Shortly after integration, you could throw a bomb inside our business and would only kill my uncle and a few employees. The black-owned bit bit the dust. Just about all black-owned businesses went the same way. The only survivors were the funeral homes and churches. Black bodies and worshipers still weren't welcome in either place. Before integration, most of the... Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Our educated class, whom had studied at predominantly black institutions, returned to the community. Most who got the free rides at the back at the black schools were quickly accepted into integration because they had been made acceptable. 
and they became by standard by which all of those who were left behind were judged. Another example, the English thing. Well, I'm going to stop right there. So what do you guys think about that? Well, uh, let, let me just say um, the first sentence, I believe it was the first sentence or two I agree 100% with. I, I say this all the time. I, I say, I don't, I believe segregation was, um, integration was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to black people in this country. Hmm. Well, do you mean economically? Do you mean socioeconomically? How do you like, you mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, economically, okay. um, you know, you know, when we talk about socially, then I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, that's somewhat intertwined, but economically, um, you know, when we were and when we had and we were when we were keeping money, our money, our economics with amongst ourselves, um, we were doing a lot better than we are doing now as, as a whole, I believe. Well, um, no, I, I just think that, uh, you know, we were very busy in wanting to be equal mm. that we forgot to ask about, we forgot to, to throw economics in there. Well, um, we were, we were concerned about being treated equal as, as we should be, as we should have been, as we still, you know, as, as we still, you know, strive to be. But we never asked for things economically to bring us back to where we should have been, where, you know, we I, I get, we lost out on 400 years. I get what you're... 400 what, years. They have, there's a, they have such a great... There's such a great head start there that it's like, you know, right. we've seen all the studies about trying to close the gap. Rob, did you have any right. thoughts about that? I mean, I, you know, I come down on the, um, on the point that integration was bad for the black community. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure if it's, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cream, you know, there's cream in my coffee. So I am integrated from, you know, from the egg up. Um, so I start there. Right. Okay. But I think the big thing is that it it remove it puts a kind of a brain drain on the community, and I you know I fall myself. I haven't been back to Brentwood all that often since I left. Since I you know I'm not, I went to Temple, and they kept hiring me here. I've been in Philadelphia the whole time since I since I left college. Right. Um, but I haven't been back to Brentwood that often. And you what you've lost is the mentorship that could have happened. You know when these people got out, got integrated, got into other communities. You lost the mentorship. You lost the ties to the community that could have helped pull some other people out and sort of pass this knowledge along. Well, then they, uh, didn't and, they, and that's where I see the big bullet in integration. Then they actually give you over an award here, though, from from um, some type of organization on Long Island once. Uh, since I graduated, no, no, okay, no, it wasn't you. It must no, they don't, you know, I was. I unfortunately, you know, I was. Uh, you know, academically, I was I was declining. I was in decline. Like if there if there was a fifth year of high school, there's a chance that I wouldn't have gotten out. 
<laughs> I, I was in a race to the bottom. <laughs> I, doubt I doubt that very much, but I doubt Dude, that very much. I, in, ninth, in ninth grade, I was probably in the the top 5 to 10% of the class. I finished squarely in the middle. I finished like 228 in my class, which, by the way, whenever I speak to school groups, Mm-hmm. I always reach out to the kids who are C students like, hey, show of hands. I know it's not pretty, but who is C student? Like okay. I was a firm C student. I finished middle of the pack, 228 out of five and change. Well, I think what you are now doesn't define who you will be later. Well, I, th- I right? think you just haven't caught fire yet. I have to be honest with you, though. I think the decline in your academics came at about exactly the same time you started telling women your sign. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I could no, be no, wrong no, about I, the time, man. I could be wrong about no, the time. No, 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 because, I mean, I survived eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, and I was, I mean, I did some really stupid things then, but academically I was tight. I, unfortunately, um, And you were telling women your sign then? You were telling them I was them absolutely already. telling women my sign. Okay. But you know what the crazy part is? Like, we're going to get off on a tangent. You know what the biggest hit was? You know, I was losing, I was losing women to Michael Jackson. Menudo. I was competing again. Yeah. Dress up like Michael Jackson and he would always come around and do the dance and stuff. Ah. The chicks all loved him. I don't know. I, I know I, you remember him, Max. No, no, I, I forgot him. And like, you know, I think he's <laughs> I think he's probably whoever that person is, I'm, I think he's probably happy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I can't identify him. I can't identify him for doing that, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, but, but, but no, my, my, my is, academic I can't decline, have anything nice. <laughs> my, my academic decline began at the same time uh, that my dad passed. Yeah. That was sort of the end of my academic, you know, the, the, that was the end of me having any sort of uh, toehold in reality for a little while. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's that, that integration is, you know, like, I, I come back to this quite often. We're 16% of the population. So anytime they decide to line up against us, we can't win an election. At some point, we're either going to have to become a larger part of the community as long as we get um, equal opportunity and equal rights uh, and the cops stop beating the shit out of us, or we're going to have to break off and do our own. Yeah. Like those are the two sort of possibilities for us. Well, I, I, um, and integration was the idea of leading us towards being a greater part of the of the whole. But they said, great, you guys can do this but we're going to leave some institutions in the past. So while they tried to integrate us, there were some other institutions that were like, no, 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 that's not really going to happen. Well, you know, I, you I, I can't speak for, I can't speak for him and I am going to have him as a guest on this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. pretty soon. But, um, I, from my, my whole take on it, the thing that was like most interesting about it was that, okay, you know, you took 10% of the 10% of the finest. It's like, sort of like you kind of, Take, you've taken every like black um, philosophy, like you know what was that? Marcus Garvey, Garvey. It was the talented tenth, right? One in every ten. Uh, that was W. E. B. Du Bois. W. E. B. Du Bois. Okay. So okay, so now he he take they take that and they pull one out of every ten out, and they mm-hmm. take them out of the neighborhood and they actually like you know kind of you know did a social experiment using you know a black uh, sociologist's thought process. And it worked, you know, um, the crazy thing is like what I, what I always think about is it's like, you know, I love this generation. I love this generation of young people because they're like, they're so passionate about everything, about everything. But 
sometimes it seems like they don't know what they should, what they're passionate about exactly. You know, um, I don't want to say should be because it's not up to me to determine what someone else is supposed to be passionate about. But, you know, I, I look at this, you know, this was a this was a time period where you take these people out. You would. Does that happen in other in other neighborhoods like, you know, Asian places like, you know, Italians? They went through their situation. They came over. They had their they had a lot of people that were against them. You know, they fought their way through. But the one thing that they did was even when they moved in different circles, they always came back and they always um, solicited their own businesses. These people did not do that. You know, they kept their money. They kept their money in in their communities, within exactly. their communities, and and then that's how that was how they began, or they began to build wealth and economic power. They weren't interested. They weren't worried about um, you know spending their money across across town with you know. Yeah, they didn't um, necessarily want to move. Exactly. Exactly. They were they were fine, and and I say I believe they understood the power of one keeping them keeping keeping the economics within within the family, if you will, the same way the, the Jews do, the same way other other ethnic groups do. Um, black people are the only ones who are like, you know, I'm not going to spend money with 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 the guy who looks who looks just like me right. and if i do he better give me a discount right or he you know every now that person's success you owe me a piece of your success and right. that's not that's not really what it's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be you know you're successful because you're because you are doing and i want to and i'm happy to see you when i applaud your success and i want to help i want to help i want you to help me now and now like you know but not for free you know, you have to bring something to the table. You have to always bring something to the table. That's just the way that business works. And that goes... Oh, what, what also, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, like, this this, this topic, this question is so deep, man, because it, it goes into... It goes into the psychology. It goes into yes. you know. It, it goes in, it goes it goes into generational curses. It goes into Willie Linson. It, 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 I mean, this is goes. This has so many different layers. Like it, it, it's just. It, I mean, it's just it's just really scratching the surface of like you know the hatred that we that we have for one another. Right. That, that is not like necessarily it's not acted out in the terms of gunplay. It's not acted out in terms of fights. It's like sort of like, you know, for years I've always been aware of like, you know, I call it the one black guy in the room syndrome. You know, there's always the oh, one Rob guy. Brooks. What was that? You I'm said, always the one black Rob guy Brooks. in the room. Rob Brooks. <laughs> Rob I, Brooks. I, 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 I was going to raise my hand, listen, too. I was listen, raising my hand, too. Listen, the whole point, it's not... What I mean by one black guy in the room syndrome, I mean it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you make it into the room, and now another black, black guy comes into the room, and you're conditioned to basically go at that person as if there can only right. be one. I, I know some dudes like that who they, they like being the only black guy in the room. Like they're they're most comfortable that way, right? But um, there, there's another. See, where does that come from? What where, where, like let, let's break that down. Yeah, where, where does that, where does come that from? thinking come? 
Where does that come from? That comes from you know that. Well, I that, mean, that, that, that's a lot of years of conditioning. I mean, he went to he went to a PWI, as they like to call them now, predominantly white institution, and um, had some acclaim there. The guy that I'm thinking of in particular had some acclaim there, and has, you know, he he he's everything that he probably um, wasn't coming up okay. when he is that only black guy in the room. You know, because right. you know we're hard on each other. You know, we oh, go, yeah. you know. This dude, this dude, you know, he went to a, he went to a top flight university. He was not the coolest black guy in his high school. You know, they were probably busting on him. His his hoop game, while it was good, and they got him a scholarship, whatever. I'm sure at the court there were some dudes who were busting his ass, and we got that scholarship. We're like, really, that guy? So so now all of a sudden he gets the accolades and whatever. And, you know, he ain't really about sharing that, you know, and and I think, you know, there's a lot of levels to that because that's that whole, you you ever see the drop squad? Yes. Yes. The movie, the drop squad, you know, there's that whole Spike Lee. uh, No, no. No? You're thinking about bamboozle. Drop squad was uh, Bondi Curtis Hall and uh, Eric LaSalle. Right. They would reprogram, reeducate and reprogram brothers who they thought it sold out. Um, But so, you know, this guy, he's gonna, his cousin's asking him for a job, you know, hook him up for a job. And basically, his mind's like, yo, this N-word's not coming in here and effing this situation up for me. <laughs> he ain't coming in here being late and cr- acting crazy and effing this up for me. Right. And there's a lot of that that goes on. Right. Right. You know, there's a lot of that that goes on. And some of it is, you know, some of it is real and should be looked out for. And some of it's like, come on, man, you got to trust your people and, and, you know, sit down, have the conversation and give them a little love and give them a chance. Right, you gotta recognize that that person that went through a similar struggle, and like you know, um, difficulties and adversity that you did in order mm-hmm. to get in your situation, and you know, generally you're not in the room because you shouldn't be there. You've earned it. Yeah. Okay. You know. But um, one of the things I, that I talk about all the time with uh, when this conversation comes up, and especially you know, they talk about immigrant communities and how you know. Indians have done this, Mexicans have done that, you know, and, all, and these are all positive things. They've all, you know, they've come over here and they built up a community. This, how come you guys can't do that? Well, I say, you understand, right, that basically that's the cream coming off the top over there coming to here. You're looking at our entire group here. Right. Whereas these immigrants who are coming over here, these are, these are the C students that are coming over here. Like these are people who are driven. These people who have a vision. Like they're coming over here to accomplish something. And so they're coming over here and they are accomplishing something. But that doesn't mean that they are better than anybody else. It's just, you know, like you said, they took the top 10% of black students, sent them over to predominantly white institutions and set them off in the world and they ran. That's kind of what's happening here with people coming from the Indian subcontinent, from uh, other parts of Asia, from, you know, Central and South America. And, you know, it's the best, the best coming here. <laughs> you they're know? motivated. They're motivated. Yeah. And not, every, and not everyone in the black community is motivated, you know. No, and not everybody's supposed to be. No, you know, and it, it's needs, not. My dad used to tell me every day, the world needs bitch figures too. Well, yeah, the reason why that's that's the reason why I say it is because, like, you know, there's no shame in not being like motivated to, like, you know, own everything. You know, you're not supposed to. That's like one of the ways that media gets you and how they trick you into thinking that you're that you're sub that you're subpar somehow like everyone's mm-hmm. supposed to have a maserati and like you know two chicken heads with fat butts 
that like you know they that you paid for their surgeries to get their butts and um and um, i'm telling you right now orlando can have one of my chicken heads and the maserati (laughs) (laughs) see now now we've got a breakthrough here we've had a breakthrough the brothers are sharing a good thing. There you go. That's a good thing. There you go. See, it's all it's all love. It's all love. You know, before I you know, I I wanted to get to the I wanted to read the end of this, but you know, the end of it is actually like it's what he says, whoa. You know, it's just like, you know, it's I, I love hearing it because it's like it's a different, it's a different generation. And like, you know, once you get to a certain age, you just don't give a fuck no more. You know, you'll say whatever is on your mind. You know, so I'm I'm gonna pick this up to you know where he said this. He goes, he goes this English thing. A large proportion of us are excluded and castrated by our revolution pimps because we don't speak the king's English. I ask you, how many recent immigrants speak proper English or any English at all? Been in the Miami airport recently? Don't forget, we too are immigrants, although reluctant ones. In the already prejudiced minds in any who didn't act or speak like this trained cadre was relegated to niggerhood. Out of this class evolved the harsh critics of the black situation, such as Jarvis, and they gaggle of others. I don't want to get into name calling, but you know who you are. I'm the first to admit that we have problems with our youth and others, but I don't think the solution is self-criticism. I think one of the solutions is for our young professionals to return to what's left of the black community. On the other hand, I know I'm whistling in the dark because the chains around our necks that enslaved our ancestors have been replaced with the, by the yoke of debt. And that elite who think they escape niggerhood have bought into not the American dream, but the American nightmare. It's really sad. Lift that brick off your necks. That's a, that's, you know, that kind of, you know, and I, and I have to say like, you know, this is a very accomplished man. He knows a ton of people, you know, when he says that, you know, who you are, you know, I'm sure that somebody out there does know who they are. Maybe they're gone now, but you know, it just goes to show you that these, that these fights that we're fighting, they're not new. It's not new. The fights outside the community, the fights inside the community, the differences of opinion of which way that things need to go in order to progress. But to me, it's always been one thing that I really love about this, about this man is because like, you know, it's like we're kind of we're similar thinkers and everything that he said is basically about education, educate yourself, support each other, show love things of that nature. And these are things that, you know, we've been, that have been systematically taken away from us. You know, um, go back to it. Just start with what everybody knows. Gina, Oklahoma. It was a blossoming, burgeoning community. And what did they have to do? They had to shut it down. There are at least 12 other stories in the United States that are of cities just like that, where when you, where when black people got together, and they did things to get money collectively, they were shut down. So the question is, like, you know, is it actually acceptable? Is it is it really is it one of those things that's really against the law and unwritten law? What do you think? You know, are black people really allowed to gain power? Is this going to be a fight that we can even win? 
it hasn't been. You know, to see if it, to see if things evolve and change will be, you know, for this generation to figure out that it hasn't been. I mean, they have, they have, uh, society has spoken pretty, pretty firmly about that one. No, you will not get ahead like that. You will only, you will only, you only drink as much as we give you, not a, not a drop more. Mm. I mean, look, look at the last 12 years and, and the rise of what I call the bigotry renaissance, right? You know, when Obama came into office, people were thinking and saying, well, you know, we're, there's, there's no more racism. We look, look, look how far you guys have come. It's, uh, you have a, we have a black president. But what did that give birth to? That gave birth to what I call the big, a bigotry renaissance. Okay. Um, and the, the way people felt and the way people were thinking started coming up again, started coming up again. And with the with social media and, and, and other outlets, it just it's, it's just blown up. So really, what that guy was saying that that you you know just read off, Alexander. Yep. I could literally transpose that to to where we are in 2020, and what what really has changed. Well, according to him. We are definitely sitting on a on um, a less strong, you know, economic base than we were in the '60s before Jim Crow was abolished, which is like the interesting thing. And you know, um, you know, you've had you had families that were, you know, when you look at these times, if you look at I I love history, so you look at the '50s and '60s, you you had families that were that were established black families. You had established black universities. You had established black wealth to a certain extent. And a lot of that was stolen by integration. And that's the one thing that's never talked about. But it's like sort of I, like, I agree. It's sort of like, you know, the doors were open to the were open up economically to everyone else except for us. You know, and yeah. and no community would you ever see that. When they came in when the Home Depots of the world were coming in and um taking over the hardware business and things of that nature. They were in the big boxes. They go to the local hardware store first, and they offer to buy them out. Nobody bought these. Nobody bought these stores out. They just opened right. up competing stores, and they just like you know open up the doors. It's like hey, sink or swim, and everything. So right. these are things that these are things that we have to be aware of. If you're going to give your, if you're going to pay your money, it's one thing. It's good to you know. I I don't knock free enterprise. And everything, but if you were to say, if you were to say the part, the sad part of America is that, if you were to say that I want to spend my money with a black business first, somebody will come out of the weeds and say you're racist. Okay, but this is what other people yep. have done, and what other groups have done, and what they continue to do to this very day. You know, right. so is it fair for you to be called racist? Is it is it even like is it something that you should even accept? Because everyone else is allowed, everyone else is allowed to do what they want to do, except for me. I can't spend my. You can spend your money where you want to spend your money, but I'm also only free to spend my money where you want me to spend your money. Well, let let me ask you this, and you tell me if this is crazy. Do you think other groups even say things like that? I'm going to spend my money, or I want to spend my money with a black business. Or do they just they just spend it where they grew up and were conditioned to spend their money? I think they're allowed to do that. 
You know, I think they're allowed to do that. They have that. They, it's sort of like a luxury to have a store that's owned by somebody that looks like you in your neighborhood. You know, right. it's a it's a luxury that's not afforded. In order for me to actually do that and solicit a black business, I have to do more work because it's not readily available. These things. Yeah, I'm trying right. to think like in Brentwood, where were the black businesses? Like that weren't barbershops. That's it. That's it. You know, so it's like, you know, it's something that it's something to really consider. You know, um, especially with all the stuff, all the talk about reparations and things of that nature. I don't know how you would actually go about doing that. I'm going to have to get a guest on here to, you know, talk reparations and speak about it in in depth because, like, it's not something that I've really wrapped my head around. And, like, that's one good thing about these subjects. I want, you know, my guest to actually, I loved, you know, I loved having you here today, Orlando, because, like, you know what you're talking about. You are not afraid to give that information out, and we appreciate it. We need that information. We need more people like you in the community, in all communities. And um, this is, and like, you know, by all means, this is not just for, like, you know, black people. I'm for anyone who just isn't doing well and wants to try harder, you know, and that's what has made America That's the real battle in America. Yeah. That's the real battle in America. Like, it's not, you know, that's just the the race thing is a smokescreen. Right. And has been since the very beginning. This has always been about those who have the power and the authority and those who do not. And keeping that that group in between. Under focused on something else, on, on something else completely and totally yeah. fighting, mm-hmm. fighting and battle, fighting these wars and these battles that, you know, can't be won. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times shouldn't even be fought. You know, it's like, you know, it's. um. You know, it. there are so many different things, so many different things. But you know what, guys? Our hour no, is, what? is just about. All right. See, look, I can't have anything nice. Like, I'm overjoyed. Like, you know, I've been Facebook friends with Orlando forever. It's the first time we really get to vibe. You know, this is great, man. You're making it next time. <laughs> it was, you know, you're doing good work, brother. <laughs> Yeah, no, to, to be honest, I mean, I, I could talk about this, you know, for, for a few more hours. I mean, an hour is just not enough. I, I will say that I'm for all people, but I'm also for my black people. And um, when I say my black people, my background, my mother's Hispanic, my, my father's black. So I'm, I'm a mixture of, of all things as well. But I'm, I'm a black person. I'm a black man. And I'm, I'm always going to be for my black people first. Well, to quote the movie, uh, that movie with Chris Rock, I forgot um, when he was the rapper, what was it, CB4? Um, CB? CB4, yeah. yeah. I'm black, I'm black, and I'm black, and I'm black. And I'm black. Okay. I just wanted. I just wanted to. I just wanted to throw that one. That throw a little musical reference in there. Give it I'm a pretty sure that I've seen that movie, but I can't really remember it through the haze that, of smoke. That was the. That was the call. That was the call. Pain part when he said, "I'm black." I'm okay. Black and I'm black and I'm black. You know. But yeah, no, no, we're definitely listen. It's like I'm for everybody. You know, it's like I, you know, we're we're one country and like, you know, the good thing, I, one thing I loved about the show is like, you know what, Rob, what you said about the immigrants, 
and like you know mm-hmm. how they how they are the best. Like that's really what America. That's what America is. America is the best of the best. Okay, and like you know, we you know we we cheat, we rob, we cheat, and we steal. We cheat other countries by taking their best people and bringing them over here, and hope that they create jobs for other people. You know, and they do create jobs for other people. You know, this country has worked in many different ways on many different levels. And I always say that, like, you know, though I'm 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 proud black and I'm I'm proud to be African-American. I'm proud of my family and my history and my past. I'm an American. You know, we're Americans first. And um, even though that may not be popular with some people and everything, you know, I am. This is where I this is where I live. I don't know anywhere else at this point in time. Maybe when I'm. I gotta tell you what, that that, that is fantastic growth out of you, brother. Because your 16 year old self would have called you some names right now. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. We are, you know. But but the fantastic thing is that you can, and we we all can evolve, and we can all like this doesn't have what what we thought once doesn't have to be. Like there, that's the that's the promise of hope. Well, you know, also also my 16 year old self saw myself. um, being married to twins. So that didn't work out either. You but know, you still have hope. Still have hope, yeah. Listen, come, I, come, come to you. I'm come to, to Utah. I'm going to have to cut that part out. You can do that. I'm going to have to cut that last part out. That could be a whole other conversation, like the whole Utah thing, like you living in Utah. Oh, man. Be, I have so many questions. So many questions. <laughs> Yeah, man. Maybe yeah, we should that, do some extended. Whole, we got to do some extended time. Go ahead. Some bonus coverage. Let, 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 let's go. Let, let's go. Let, ding, let's ding. go. And we did do that bonus time, and I will be posting that at another point. But right now, we're out of time, and I'd like to thank Winston, Orlando Walters, my guest today, for coming in and sharing all that great information about the stock market and the economy and his experiences and his points of view as well as Mr. Robert Brooks, uh, my number one my more, number one best friend buddy for many, many years. And hopefully we'd like to see you back at the Born in Trouble podcast next week. We're trying to post every Tuesday. And by we, I mean me. And I hope you all enjoy your holiday. Thank you very much. And see you next week. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.